Thank you for listening to the Prairie Oaks Pulpit Podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday morning sermons here at Prairie Oaks Baptist Church in Prairie Grove, Arkansas. Thank you for being a participant in this ministry through this media. And thank you to those who helped make it possible. Now may God bless you and keep you. And let's get to the message. Let's look in Luke chapter 22. As mentioned Last week, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at some of the teachings on the, on communion, on the Lord's Supper, and no better place to start than in the Gospels, where it starts. And so, Luke chapter 22, there's three tellings of it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so, we're going to look at Luke's today and get some of the context of it as well. Uh, but Luke chapter 22, and if you would, out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me as we start in verse 7? Then the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed, and he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house in which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come... He sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was, who would do this thing. Let's pause for prayer. Father, just thankful for the time in your word. I thank you, Lord, for your servants who've made this possible with, as they've led us in singing and in prayer and, and your servants who make the children's chapel possible and Sunday school. And, and now, Lord, just another part of our worship is to, to take heed to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you guide my words and my thoughts to accurately teach your word. I pray that your spirit would move in children's chapel and in here that we would be fertile ground for your word, that it would bring forth fruit, the fruit of repentance and the fruit of thanksgiving and the fruit of, of glory to you, Lord, through obedience We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And we need you, Lord. For we need rescued even from ourselves. 
And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the true King and the hero of the story, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to back up just a little bit because you saw the word Passover. And so it's worth telling, you know, what is this Passover thing that they came to to participate in? And Passover is when there in Egypt, the Israelites were in slavery and in bondage. And what happened is God, God showed up and through a series of 10 plagues, he rescued his people. But the 10th plague was a bringing back upon the Egyptians what they had inflicted on others. That they had, Pharaoh had ordered the death of all of the Hebrew boys that were born, that they would be killed. And so back upon their heads, God brings what? The death of the firstborn, of their boys, of their animals, from the rich and the poor, all. And there would only be one rescue from that certain death. And that would be through a Passover lamb whose blood would be shed and it would mark the doors. The householder would mark his door with the blood. And when the death angel saw the blood on the door, then he would pass over that house. Praise God. And so each of those obedient Israelites then were protected from the death angel by the blood. And God said, then the rest of that lamb you are to consume. You're to roast it in the fire. It was very specific instructions. What you don't eat then is to be burned in the fire so that none remains by morning. You're to eat it with your clothes, with your clothes on, your staff in your hand. You're girded up because you're ready to go because at morning you're going to be leaving Egypt. Never to continue in slavery and bondage Amen. as you follow God. And so it's significant, the song that we sang this morning, that that is all our hope is in Jesus because he has set us free. And that's the interesting thing about Passover is it became an annual celebration every year in the spring when they would celebrate what in remembrance of what God had done in Egypt. But it would be an anticipation because they knew they still needed a better saving. They needed a better Savior than that little lamb or goat, but they would need saved from within, even from themselves. And so there was both a remembrance, but an anticipation because there was an understanding that it was a symbol. The fulfilling would come later. And so that was centuries before it was fulfilled. But year after year, faithful Israelites would remember and anticipate by partaking of the Passover. And Jesus, as the faithful Israelite, the faithful one, he did the same thing. And so, We're not told every time that he did it, but we're told that as a faithful Israelite, he would have done it every time. 
but we're told of instances when he did. And this then was no surprise when it came spring and he's heading to Jerusalem. The disciples are, where are we going to do Passover? Because they know they're going to do it because Jesus always does. And so Jesus had made preparations because in this situation, Jesus is a wanted man. It's kind of hard to believe that this perfect individual would be wanted by the law, but he is. The authorities want him arrested and murdered. And so he is being very secretive. And he's being secretive because of another reason. He knows one of his disciples is the betrayer. He knows even which one it will be. And so he is being secretive even from his own disciples in order that everything happens according to his father's plan. And he has complete control over this. And I want you to pause and think about that for a second because that's useful to us, isn't it? To know that our God is in control. All of the instances of our life are under his control. Whether good or bad, he is still in control. And so we can put our faith in a God who says that I can work all things together for good because it's in his control. And what they intend for evil, God will bring for good, as Joseph believed, even when he was in prison in Egypt. And so he secretly has secretly arranged for these things. And so the disciples are like, so where do we go? And he says, this is what you're going to be looking for. This is where you're going to go. And this is the place where we're going to do it if you follow my instructions. And so they follow his instructions. They go and prepare at we're told it is, it is Peter and John, his two, uh, probably some of his most trusted disciples, they're sent to go prepare the Passover. And when the hour came, they sat down and gathered around, the 12 of them. At least we're told that it was that, at least the, those 13 are there because Jesus had a fervent desire to partake of this with them because he was going, he knew what he was doing. They were just cruising along, right? They're the disciples. He's the teacher. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was going to do in this Passover. And so there's something kind of interesting about this as, I, as I've been reading and preparing and praying for this, this message. One of the things that s- struck me is how much we're not told. Yeah. You ever thought about that? Where's a lot of things we're not told. So like I had to go somewhere else to find instructions about what all took place in a Passover. And, and I know there's people here that know much more about this than I do. So forgive me for when I'm wrong. But there is a, a traditional way of partaking in Passover where there would be a cup and there'd be the washing of hands symbolizing the need for cleansing. And there would be uh, the eating of, uh, of the bitter herbs. And, and that would be the symbolize their hard bondage and the bitterness of that when they were in Egypt. And because the whole thing is a teaching lesson. You know, we talked about that a few weeks ago when we had a baptism, right? That it is a physical symbol of the spiritual reality. And God, he's, he's a very good teacher. And so when, he, you have, when you're a good teacher, you keep using the same things, right? And so this was to teach them of what they were in, in Egypt. And then the, the household or the, the, 
the leader of the home would then Thank God for his intervention. And there would be a, uh, a time in which after the bitter herbs, they would uh, have the lamb and there would be the unleavened bread. And he would teach about the Passover all along the way so that they would be remembering what God had done for them. And then at, and it would continue and until all that was done. And then Along the way, they were singing through the Psalms as they did it. And we know from, uh, not from the scriptures, but again, from the traditions, which Psalms they normally sang. It was Psalms 113 through 118, and, and those would be done throughout the night as well. But I bring that up because we're not told that here. That's not the point. Because Jesus is going to do something different. He's going to take of that, but he's starting something new. But it's still going to be a matter of remembrance and anticipation. And because what he's doing is he's doing the fulfilling. He's doing the fulfillment. And that's why he had this fervent desire to eat this Passover, this Passover with you before I suffer. Because you're going to learn the significance of my suffering through this. And I'm not going to eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So as I go through this, you're going to keep hearing about remembrance. And you're going to be looking at anticipation and fulfillment. And Jesus is setting all that up right here in that anticipated. It's not going, I'm not going to partake until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and, and take this divided among yourselves. Um, again, I think it's repeated. We realize in scripture that when God repeats something, he's trying to get our attention with it, Right. And so he repeats it again. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And that's an interesting one that I thought about for a while. You may not have had the question in your head, but when is that? Because I thought he said just a few chapters earlier in this that the kingdom of God had come. And yes, in a way it had. The already and not yet of scripture. Because the king was there. But yet the king's kingdom isn't fully manifest yet. And so he says, anticipate it, but the fulfilling is coming. And then he took the bread, the unleavened bread, he, and he gave thanks over it, and he broke it and passed it out to them. But instead of describing the Passover, he describes something else to them. And I know it would have stood out to the disciples because they're like, this isn't the words we're supposed to be hearing. We know this part. We've, we've heard it for all of our lives. He's doing something different. And I think that's why they repeat the story to us this way. He said, this this bread is my body, which is given for you. And I think it's, it's worth mentioning here. So it does sound very declarative that this bread is his body, 
Well, they would have known he was speaking metaphorically because why? Well, he was standing there in front of them. They knew the difference. But again, as we've been taught, God uses physical symbols to teach spiritual realities. And so that bread then is the physical symbol of the spiritual reality of his body being given for us. His body given over and dying, laying down his life for his sheep. His life for ours. And then he says this, do this in remembrance of me. He's now setting into motion. He says, this is not the only time I'm going to do this. From now on, I want you to do this in remembrance of Passover. No, of me. Because he's fulfilling Passover. He's fulfilling it. And so now we don't look back at, at that very important event because now it's become the symbolic and the reality is there with them. This body, which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after supper. Um, and again, there were a set number of cups in the, in the meal that they partook of. And, and each one had, had, but he doesn't say what he's supposed to say. He says what he's supposed to say, right? He doesn't say what they've always said. He says now new meaning in this. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And I, I, we, there's a lot going on in this. And it's so we better kind of start figuring this out, right? And so he says, this cup is the new covenant. Jesus just pulled on a string that goes all the way back through the Old Testament that has a lot attached to it, right? You know, we, we talk about we put, put a pin there and we're going to tie a string to it and then later on we're going to come back to it. Well, that's what happened is he just pulled on a big one. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, you know that we just finished Isaiah. It was an epic journey through the second longest book in the Bible, if you count by chapters. It's a big one, but there's so much in there. And the books next to it, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is, one, is the longest book in the Bible, if you do by word count. And Ezekiel is right up there with it. And those three books talk very significantly about new covenant. And Jesus just tugged on that. And it was something that Every Israelite looked forward to. Ever since things degraded after Solomon, they began to, to yearn for when God would fix the mess. But really it goes all the way back to Moses when Moses told them, I've given you this law, but you're not going to keep it. And I know how this is going to play out and that the curses of disobedience will come upon you because you're humans and every human breaks God's law. He may have said, you're a little worse than most humans, but he didn't. He said, 
you're going to bring this on yourselves. But cry out to God when it happens because he is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in covenant love and in faithfulness. Don't forget it. Cry out to him. And so there's been that whole desire that, oh, the old covenant condemns. We need a new covenant with God where he fixes us so that we can be right with him. And Ezekiel said he's going to do that. He's going to take out that stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. And on that heart will be written God's law. And Jeremiah said that's new covenant. He used the terminology new covenant. In which you'll have a desire to walk it with me. You will have the spirit so that you do want to walk with me. And what about all those sins? Isaiah taught us that. And I love, you know, in in Isaiah 53 is one of my favorite passages because there we're told that God's suffering servant will lay down his life for the sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've each gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that by his stripes, we are healed. God was going to take care of all of it. And so Jesus is grabbing all of those thoughts from Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 53, and all these other times of of yearning and anticipation and says, it's on my shoulders. I'm the one who's going to accomplish that for you. I am the embodiment of the new covenant. And it won't be the blood of of calves or bulls or sheep or goats that will take, because those can't take care of your sin problem. It will be my blood. And I love that the writer of Hebrews says it not once, but multiple times. It will be by his blood once for all. Three of the best words in that whole book. Once for all, he will take care of that. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Because here's the thing is Passover was not a covenant ceremony. God rescued them, but it was many days later when he brought them to Mount Sinai and and he manifested himself and and spoke from the mountain the terms of of the covenant, which we know as the Ten Commandments. And then he calls up Moses and other leaders of the people and they have a meal together. And that is where the covenant is sealed. And it is sealed with blood as Moses scatters the blood of the sacrifices over the people. So Jesus is now hooked into that thread and pulls it to himself as well. That he is 
initiating and that he is ratifying this covenant with not the blood of something else, but his own blood. And this is where you can mentally tag it on. Do this in remembrance of me. That he calls upon us to remember what he accomplished for us and what he has brought us into. And so that that is what our present reality is, is that we are in the new covenant. That when you were born again, when I was born again, we received his Holy Spirit. Not just to empower for service, but to take up residence within us, to give us that new heart and to transform us from the inside out. That's new covenant stuff. And that there'll be no more need for days of atonement and sacrifices and, and all those things because the fulfillment has come. Christ is our atonement who has gone in to the most holy place and scattered his blood, not in a tabernacle or temple made by hands on earth, but into the, the reality that is there in heaven. That the physical symbol down in Jerusalem only pointed towards. The spiritual reality is with God. He, again, new covenant. That's what he accomplished for us. And so there is an element in which then anticipation. Oh, it's been accomplished. It has been fulfilled. But Jesus says, I want you to still anticipate Because as we're going to see, as Paul teaches it, I want you to continue to do this until I come. When I will do it with you, with you. And we look forward to that day. We who are citizens of the kingdom of God look forward to the manifesting of that day kingdom. We yearn for it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And it's worth mentioning, it's kind of odd because Jesus is in a unique situation here. He's speaking in a way that we understand Because between him saying those words the first time and where we stand is the actual fulfilling. He hadn't shed his blood yet, but it was an accomplished thing in his mind. Do you know why? Because he knew he was going to obey. He knew what was coming and he knew he was going to do it. And that goes back to that whole, that's why we know that it is a physical symbol of that spiritual reality. That the spiritual reality was accomplished that next day on Golgotha when he had been scourged and mocked and nailed to a Roman cross and there laid down his life as the Passover lamb. And depending on which 
commentary you read uh, that even as the Passover lambs were being killed, he was dying, replacing their, that physical symbol as well. And that not a bone of those lambs was to be broken. And as his body was broken, his bones were not broken. God protected even the little things. And that the blood and the water that spilled from his side, the fountain by which we are cleansed. That the death angel of eternal death would pass over us because we're the ones that are marked by the blood of the Lamb. And that we would be rescued from our slavery and bondage to sin, of which its wages are death, and brought into a new new life in Christ as marked by the resurrection on the third day. That we would be his chosen people, a kingdom of priests, that we would be a holy nation marked by his Holy Spirit. It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we pause to see our Savior has accomplished this. There's a lot more that could be said, and we'll say it, but not this morning. Because I want to pause now just so that two things take place, and we all get to participate in one of these two things. I don't know hearts, but the Holy Spirit does. And one is there may be some who have never asked God to do that work in their hearts to implant the Holy Spirit, forgive them of their sins, to welcome them into his new covenant kingdom of God. And if the Spirit is prompting that this morning, do it today. Because the reality is we're not only not promised tomorrow, we're not promised this afternoon. But the, those who have trusted in Christ received that We have cause to worship, to thank God. Why would a God choose to do that? But except out of his own compassion and grace and his faithfulness to himself. So will you stand and will you respond as the Holy Spirit prompts this morning?